Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Conversations with My Dog. Today's guest is Gene Bean Baxter. He is a radio DJ and podcaster best known as part of the Kevin and Bean Show on the Los Angeles-based alternative rock station 106.7 K-Rock from 1989 to 2019. He was originally born in the UK and is a British citizen and moved back here in 2019 after a very long Hall of Fame career as a radio presenter in America. He is a huge dog lover with two rescue pugs aptly named Bubble and Squeak and used to run a rescue farm with about 30 animals including cows, pigs, sheep, goats and donkeys. Oh and llamas and had six dogs at one time now it is an honor to welcome the legend that is been on the show today hello namapa bean gene hello hello (laughs) mani i am not worthy of that awesome introduction but thank you it's a pleasure to be here i'm exhausted i I try to get everything in one sentence you know i inhale and then i try and say the whole (laughs) thing and it's always like You know, and it's amazing because I just think of Noah's Ark here, you know, cows, pigs, sheep, goats, donkeys, and llamas. Well, we also had, uh, we had hedgehogs at the time. We had guinea pigs. We had rabbits. There was tarantulas. There was everything running around for a while. But, you know, like so many other people, I have fallen in love with animals. And the older I get, the more time I want to spend with them, the more things I want to do, the more I want to help them. There's just something so centering as the rest of the world gets crazier and crazier. There, let's face it, nothing beats time with your dog. Absolutely. And I'm, you know, I'm separated from my dog, Robbie. And I tried to reach out to him a couple of days ago through WhatsApp. And I, I went, Robbie, Robbie, you know, video call. Robbie, and he's lying there, spread eagle on his back with his legs wide apart. And he doesn't even bother to turn his head. I, I don't know what that's about, but I can't figure out how a dog's brain works because like Bubble will go berserk if he hears an animal on television. The animal doesn't even have to appear on screen. It could even be an animated animal, but if he hears the noise, he'll go crazy. Yet we've tried to speak with him over Zoom and WhatsApp before, and his own parents' voice, he doesn't even look up for. So I don't know what connects in a dog's brain and what doesn't. That is incredible. And and, and at the beginning, the first phone call, uh, he kind of was still looking for me. I went, Robbie, Robbie, 
Robbie, Robbie, Robbie, Robbie. And he and his little eyes were sort of darting around, you know, and kind of sniffing the laptop and everything. I think he's having a whale of a time. He's having time out from a neurotic owner. Were you unable to take him with you in your travels in Europe because of COVID restrictions? No, no. It's called the British UK restrictions. Nothing to do with COVID. It's always been very difficult to bring a dog back into the UK because if you fly with a dog from Zurich back to London, it's £1,500 in cargo. Don't ask me why. But if you take the Eurotunnel, say Zurich, Paris, you fly to Paris and then you take the, the TGV up to Lille, Calais, and then you cross over with the pet taxi, it's a lot cheaper. But the joke is, the joke is you can leave the UK with your dog in a, um, in a little what is it called in a bag underneath your seat for 50 quid, 50 pounds. And I arrive in Zurich, no one checks. So in Europe, you can freely travel with a smaller size dog on a plane, train. Well, we do make things difficult, don't we? I don't, but can you understand why? The question is why? And they say it's because of rabies, you know, forget COVID. It's because the UK never had rabies. That's what I understand. If, and, and I, I, that does make sense if your dog, if there's no rabies in the UK, they want to make sure it doesn't get introduced here to any animal. I understand that they would require you to get a rabies vaccination before you do travel to other places. That doesn't, I don't have a problem with that. I would, I would welcome that. I don't understand the hurdles that you're describing, the crazy expense to move with your dog. It should just be easy as just getting on a plane with your dog. It's unbelievable. We have tried, we have tried so much. And the best one is now that Robbie, we were worried that his. <laughs> European pet passport wasn't recognized anymore in the UK, but apparently it is because it was issued in Slovakia. If it had been issued in the UK as a European pet passport, it would no longer be valid. But thank God he's from Slovakia. (laughs) And it's, it's very complicated. And I mean, I'm having troubles getting back into the UK, although I'm British, but I didn't renew my pet uh, not pet passport, sorry, my my passport. So Robbie has more chances to get back into the UK than I have. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. It's it's unbelievable. But it's um, I've travelled. By the way, I just wanted to say, obviously, you're from Los Angeles, but you are based in Seattle. You were based in Seattle. You never lived in Los Angeles, correct? Well, okay, here's the thing. Mm. No one cares because I'm not famous and I and no one knows who I am. But just briefly to give you the thirty seconds, I was born in the UK. My father was in America. Military serviceman who fell in love with a young 18 year old British lady from Islington. They got married, had a couple of kids. My dad took the family around the world. We lived in Spain. We lived in the Philippines. We lived in Hawaii. Eventually, we lived in the UK at another time as well. Eventually, we ended up back in America when I was a teenager. I went to high school and college in Maryland. And then my radio career took me to Arizona, took me to California. Then I moved to Washington, then Louisiana. And then eventually moved back to the UK in 2019. So that's my travel in a nutshell. I did live in Los Angeles for 10 years, but I did the last 20 years of my radio show remotely, as we're speaking today, from my home studio, first in Seattle and then in New Orleans. Oh, fantastic. Because to cut a long story short, Robbie came to Los Angeles. Robbie and I flew to Los Angeles uh, because my vision is to open a Doga studio in Los Angeles. Um, That was always my dream. Um, Doga came to me in Los Angeles in 2019 as an inspiration. And suddenly I just realized that uh, the best place would be Los Angeles to to open a Doga studio. Because it's so wacky there. It's so absolutely wacky. And I took took Robbie to Los Angeles. And I just remember, I was going to 
ask about pet travel. You know, we left Heathrow. He he peed on the rug of Heathrow <laughs> before he left. And when we landed in LAX, poor little thing. So he held his pee-pee for 11 and a half hours, sitting on my lap as an emotional support dog, which he could still do in those days. Emotional support, yeah. And he, we landed in LAX at, at the border control. And I'm sort of, you know, coming into Trump land and I have an Iranian name. You know, I have a Swiss passport, but I have a full Iranian name. And I was, you know, peeing myself. And the next thing I know is that border control and Robbie just spreads his leg wide open and it all comes down. And, and the guy at the passport control was looking at Robbie going, oh my God, he's so cute. Can I show you my dog? And I was like, great, fantastic. No one's checking my passport. So Robbie distracted everybody from, um, from me being, you know, taken into custody or whatever, you know, with the with my Iranian name, you know, yeah. amazing, the stuff. And he held it for 11 and a half hours. And I tried to get Robbie to wee in the plane. And, you know, with American Airlines, it's very tricky because we were in this cubicle, me and Robbie, and uh, I spread all the, uh, the wee-wee pads out in that tiny little cubicle. And I, and I jumped on the toilet seat because there was hardly any space. And I said to Robbie, pee-pee, pee Piddle, piddle. And Robbie looks at me and goes, you got to be kidding me. You got it. And then outside the door, you know, the stewardess, she she's butt, knocks on the door, tick, tick, ma'am, ma'am, are you okay, ma'am, ma'am, ma'am? What do you like to, are, is everything okay in there? Piddle, piddle, Robbie, piddle. I mean, it was just the biggest joke. Of, oh, poor little thing. Have you traveled with your dogs as well? Well, I had a similar experience. My wife and I had a number of English bulldogs throughout the years. And the most recent one that we just lost a year ago was named Linus. And when we decided to move to the UK, we needed to fly Linus. We had two choices, flying or taking the boat. And we thought flying would be the way to go. We'd just bite the bullet. It would be tough, but we'd make it work. So we bought him a seat and we had him travel with us in first class. But we tried to make the trip as as short as possible. So we drove from where we lived in New Orleans to Washington, D.C. and took off from there. What is it from D.C. to London? It's probably about eight or nine hours, maybe yeah, something like that. And absolutely. Linus did the exact same thing. We could not get him to pee. He held it the entire way. And then we rushed as soon as we got through border control and passport and luggage and all of that. We raced him outside at Heathrow, figuring this guy's bladder is going to burst. He still wouldn't pee. <laughs> he still wouldn't. He pee. still wouldn't pee. And then we ended up we ended up renting a car to go to where we were were living for the first year in Notting Hill. And when we finally got in front of where we were moving, he finally felt comfortable enough to pee on British soil for the first time. It's so, funny. Yeah, and you know, my wife and I, I mentioned Seattle and New Orleans. We would split our time between those cities some years, and you can't fly in the United States with flat-faced dogs. They don't allow them on planes anymore. Uh, and English Bulldogs in particular, they've had, they've had a terrible track record with, U, with U.S. airlines with those dogs perishing on a flight. So they just say, we're not going to allow that breed on anymore. My wife and I would, we, instead of flying back and forth 3,000 miles, remember America is a very big country between New Orleans and Seattle, we would drive it. Every time we wanted to make that trip, we would get in the car and we would take six days to drive back and forth just so our, because our dogs couldn't fly and we needed to transport them. So I was thinking that the emotional support thing or uh, pet support scheme was a big thing in America and, and stopped because people um, abused or abused, misused um, uh, the, the, the... No, they, they abused it. People were bringing on, people were bringing on lizards. They were bringing yeah, on Yeah, that's chickens. what I heard. 
Right. Yeah, and, and a parrot, and a parrot as well, the uh-huh, emotional yeah. support parrot. I, I do understand. I mean, I, I, I get where the airlines are coming from. Yes, of course, it would be convenient to be able to always travel with your pet, whoever your pet is. But I do understand that they have to keep other passengers' comfort in mind, too. And there were people that were getting on. Look, they want emotional support dogs, but they also want dogs that are going to be well-behaved. There were incidents of dogs that attacked passengers, that bit somebody on a plane, and no no other person traveling should have to fear getting bit by a dog on a flight. I mean, it's hard enough worrying about COVID, getting COVID on the plane, and then you get bit by a dog and, on top of everything and get rabies, right? Right. Nobody, <laughs> nobody wants that. I have a question for you, Monty, because you know so much about dogs, and I'm always trying to figure out how they tick. Do you think, like, you miss Robbie desperately right now. You haven't seen him in 10 days. You'd give anything to be able to have him with you. But what is going on in Robbie's mind right now? Is he aware that you are separated or is he just so involved in living in the present that he doesn't think about his regular life with mom? Yeah, I think I, I don't think they have a long-term memory. Uh, they should have somewhere in their uh, brain. There must be some memory stored, but I think they really are in the moment. That well, we of- know we know that he remembers you because he'll react that way when he sees you. He'll be delighted to see you, and of course, he'll recognize you as his as his family member. But right now, he's not missing you. I guess no. is what we're hoping, right? No, and and that's actually very reassuring because. Uh, a lot of people think that uh, animals have the same type of emotions. They do have a, an array of emotions, but their their brain works differently. And what's really nice is to see that your dog doesn't miss you. Then you can just carry on with your life and, and do the things you have to do. People are just projecting so much into their dogs with hum, human emotions, projecting that, assuming that they they have human emotions. It is emotions like uh, do you know Mark Beckhoff uh, one uh, anim- emotional lives of uh, the emotional lives of animals and stuff the writer oh yes PhD I know exactly what you're talking uh, about I was yes. going to interview him we're still waiting for a podcast interview with him he is powerful my god the research he said animals have a whole emotional palette of you know uh, emotions that we don't even have it it's not that they have no emotions, but it's just they work differently with those emotions. It's much more fight or flight, you know, survival. We are uh, less, we, I think in the Stone Age, probably we didn't miss our mothers as well because if we were left, then we'd move on with the tribe. We just carry on and we survive. So you wouldn't dabble into long term, oh my God, that's a, you know, in those days back then when my father used to shout at me. I don't think the cave peoples were having, you know, I think it's just a luxury to miss people because if you are in the present moment, fight and flight, which animals always are. That makes sense. That makes sense. I wish wish there were a way to read a printout of a dog's mind. I have so many questions. For instance, again, my dog Bubble, he goes berserk when he sees pigeons in the tree in the backyard every single day. Now, I would think that dogs are smart enough that he would realize that that pigeon can't do anything to him. He can't get to that pigeon through the glass. Nothing will come of him barking at that pigeon, yet he still continues to do it. What does he get out of seeing a pigeon and going berserk? I don't know. It's very interesting. Um, There's an incredible uh, um, scientist, something like Jean, something. Anyway, again, she wrote a book and she explained how animals think or see things. And they see very much like autistic uh, people, everything in pictures. So the, the, he won't understand it's a pigeon. It's the movement. It's the flapping. It's the of the wings, uh, the rapid movement. It, it could be the light that falls in the tree. And that triggers your dog. 
but he gets he gets no satisfaction. There's never a payoff. It's not like something good happens to him if he goes crazy over that pigeon. I don't know what the incentive is, but you're saying essentially he can't help it. He's just programmed to react that way to that sensation. Yeah, because it's uh, it's triggers, it's lights, it's sound. So they all go according to pictures. Everything's in pictures. Everything is a snapshot. Yeah. So he won't yeah connect that. Is there such thing for you, Mani, who spent so much time around dogs and talking about dogs and meeting dogs? Do you have a favorite breed? Oh, gosh. That, I have a very soft spot for whippets. Mm. I think they're one of the most elegant dogs in the world. I don't know why. They're so kind of, it's just weird. I just fell in love with them. I have a – oh, God. I have a – not a fetish, but almost. Uh, for dachshounds, dachshund. It's something they look so vulnerable because their body's way too long and their legs are too short and they have to carry that body around. And I just said something about them. But I, I'm thinking about a second dog. Oh, please well, forgive just, me. You've just named two breeds that when you see them, they look like they might need help. And I wonder if that's, <laughs> the, I wonder if that's the nurturing person in you that feels like, oh, this dog needs me. So I'm attracted to this dog because I want to give. Absolutely. Yes. You want to sort of just take care of them. And the same with rescue dogs. I like mongrels. I like mixed, mixed, mixed race, mixed breeds, especially the Italian rescue. I love them. There's something about them. They look a little bit like Springer Spaniels, but they're not. Um, they're, they're street dogs. And it's just a certain look that they have, almost like a papillon ears. And there's something, their eyes are so open and vulnerable. Yeah. There's, it's about the vulnerability. I think I have to say something. I have to say something really bad. Pugs. I've never been a fan of pugs. I'm so well, sorry. What about I'm not offended. What? I'm not offended. I had never really spent time with pugs before. Let me tell you the story if you're interested because our English bulldog that we brought with us to the UK unfortunately only lasted a few months before he passed away. It wasn't completely unexpected. He was almost 12 years old, which is pretty good for an English bulldog. So my wife and I went a couple of weeks and we thought, well, maybe we'll take a break on having a pet because we've been married 30 years. We've never not had a pet. So we said, maybe we take a little break because at that point, foolishly, we thought we we're going to be able to travel one day. We didn't realize that we were going to stuck in our house forever. But after a couple of weeks, we said, this is ridiculous. We can't live without a dog. So my wife went on to to all of the rescue sites, all the major rescue sites in the UK, she didn't care what kind of dog we got. She just wanted to help a dog who needed a home. So she reached out to the bulldog and she reached out to the groundhog, the uh, groundhog, <laughs> the greyhound, <laughs> and she reached out to the pug rescue and all of them. And the first one that got back to us was the pug dog welfare rescue. And they said, we have a bonded pair that is two, two years old. And you know how difficult it can be to place two dogs at one time and keep them together. So often they're split up, which I think is is tough for them. And and we hadn't thought about a pug. We didn't know about a pug, but we said, okay, it sounds like that's a, a pair of dogs that needs uh, needs a home. We're available. We'll take them. And day one, we thought, okay, this is what having a pug is like. And we just fell in love with them. We could not believe how comical they are and how, how, how sweet they are and how they just want to be in your lap. They're very, very people-centric dogs. I just, I can't believe we've gone our whole life without pugs. Honestly, I had no idea how wonderful the breed was. And uh, how's the breathing? How's the nostrils? Because they, they do struggle with breath. They are flat-faced. Yes, they are flat-faced dogs. But I will say, uh, compared to having English Bulldogs for all those years, Pugs are a breeze. They they have no problems compared to English bulldogs. Our, and and maybe we're lucky that our pugs breed better than others. And and we take them for long walks. We live in Hampstead and we're at the Heath almost every single day for an hour to two hours. No and, way. I'm and, in Hampstead Heath every single day with Robbie. 
That's my well, backyard. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll run into one another. We then. will, most certainly. <laughs> we must have met. Oh my goodness. Well, you'll recognize me because I'm six foot six and I'll have two pugs with me. So please say hello if you see me. Absolutely. So, so yeah, so we take them out there and they just, you know, there are places in the park where you can go off lead and just let them run through the pastures. And I cannot believe how energetic they are, how much exercise they get. It doesn't seem to bother them. They're not even breathing hard. They're, um, they're race cars. Absolutely. Was it difficult to uh, rehome them? Was there any trauma? What was the background? No, we were, of course, worried with that, um, especially since they had uh, they had an original owner where they were born, and then they went to somebody else, then they went to somebody else after that. And I thought, oh, these are going to be some dogs with some real attachment issues because they've been abandoned, essentially, in their minds. But I think what we talked about earlier may come into play is they're very much dogs who live in the present, and they seem to be very happy with the new arrangement. And the first night we had them, they were both curled up on top of us, just sound asleep, just like they'd been there forever. So it was wonderful. Oh, my goodness. Could you imagine something like Doga? Would you imagine bringing your dogs to Doga? Have you well, heard of Doga, actually? I have. I've heard of Do I've heard of Doga, and I have seen what I assume is similar that people just call dog yoga. I am not a yoga person. My wife is. I am not, and I think I would benefit from it as a person who's getting older. I probably could use to stretch a little bit more, but I've never, I've never really had any desire to tr to try it with my dog. But uh, sure, why not? Yeah, because I've written a book, Doga Yoga for You and Your Dog, and it's been out in Barnes and Nobles and everywhere in the U.S. Um, and I've got like 155 poses available that you can do with a smaller size dog under eight kilos or nine kilos. How, how heavy are they? Because you can, you have to balance too. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, we do one at a time where my wife would take one and I would take one. I don't know. I don't know what they weigh. I, and I'm really not uh, conversant in thinking metric yet. So I'm still a little bit confused on kilos. I'm more of a pounds guy still. So I think they're about 20, 20 pounds maybe. Oh, incredible. That's just incredible. 20 pounds just, oh God, I wouldn't know. I would say about eight, nine kilos, about nine kilos, 10 kilos, okay. I think. Well, I'll trust Something your like math. That. Like I said, I'm, I'm I'm yeah. just not thinking metric yet. I don't know why the United States never got on board with virtually the rest of the world and adopted the metric system. It's still, it's so dumb that we still don't use it. Oh my God. Can I just ask you in, in obviously the your years of interviewing the, all these famous people. I mean, I know that you love David Lynch. I found out that you, that interview was amazing for you. I was going to ask you, being obviously based in Seattle, did you ever interview Pearl Jam by any chance? I certainly did. Um, are, why, are you a huge fan of that oh band? Oh, my God. Oh, my <laughs> God. In 93, I was wearing clothes like Eddie Vedder. I looked like Eddie Vedder. I was, oh, my, I'm a Pearl Jam fanatic. And um, I just love Eddie. I just love the whole band. I just love them. It would be my dream to speak to them. Yeah. I will tell you that they're they're all very nice and all very smart. Eddie Vedder is the toughest interview of all of them, and you probably know that because I'm sure you've watched a lot of media on the band. And Eddie is just a difficult interview. He's very quiet. He's very soft-spoken. He's tough to interview. The other guys in the band, not so much. But yeah, I've interviewed them on a number of occasions, and uh, they did a, a little uh, in-store record store appearance and recorded an EP at a store in Seattle, in West Seattle, called Easy Street Records. That was my local shop where I used to go all the time. And one day, there they are, just Pearl Jam in the shop recording an EP. It was wonderful. It was so cool to see that. But yeah, they're terrific. I, I'm a big fan of theirs. That whole, that whole grunge era was so big for the station that I worked on, K-Rock. 
So we were your Smashing Pumpkin station, and we were your Nirvana station, and we were your Alice in Chains stations. All of those bands that kind of blew up whole, all of those bands about that time were really kind of the lifeblood in the mid-90s for K-Rock. It was just unbelievable, the music. I never forget the first riff, the da na 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 I heard that song, my hair stood up. I was about 19 or 20 and it really made me alive. It was something, something, an emotional connection. I don't think music even exists. They don't do this emotional connection anymore nowadays. I, I can't find any melody that emotionally deeply connects to the soul of a teenager. I mean, I just came out of uh, uni, uh, you know, I was, I was, wow, I was raw. And then I heard that riff and I, oh my goodness. But it was you amazing. Were also, you were also at the age to be receptive to something like that, just like 20 year olds are connecting with music that does not move you at all, but it does them because they're at the right age and the receptors are open for it. I mean, I really do think, and, and I think studies have shown this. I do think that the music that you hold most dear in your head and in your heart is the music that you are exposed to at about that age, somewhere between 15 and 20 years old. That'll always feel like the best music that was ever made, even though Critics could say clearly the music of the 1970s was better or the 1960s was better. Those are the two decades critics seem to like the most. But that doesn't matter because you weren't around at that right age for that music. So look, there are people out there who feel the way about the, about the Spice Girls that you feel about Pearl Jam just because of the age they were at when it hit them. Yeah, absolutely. I found that out. Yeah, absolutely. What is your favorite music? What is? I, I mean, it's a stupid question because you must have an array. But what's your era? What What do you listen to? Well, it's interesting. Um Everybody always says, oh, I like everything. I have a wide variety of music. And most people that say that really are only interested in pop or rock music. But I love country music and I love classical music and I love Christmas music most of all. That's my favorite, <laughs> actually. Seriously, how I'm come? A, Is it the, the jingles? Christmas music collector, Monty. I have – it's funny. When I decided to move to the UK, one of the problems that I had was what am I going to do with my record collection? Between albums and CDs, I have about 80,000 records. And, of course, it's impossible. No one can afford to move them across the, uh, across the world, so I had to leave them behind. They're in storage now in Seattle with the exception of my Christmas music, which I did bring with me, and that physical copies of Christmas albums and CDs that I have is about 3,300, and I did bring – I brought those with me. So that's all I have with me physically. Of course, I have a lot more digitally, but I had to leave the rest behind. I don't know what it is oh about Christmas. Goodness. What's I your mean, favorite – uh, what is Christmas it? Christmas song? What's your favorite Christmas because song? It, it went, it went, no, what I'm saying is this Christmas was just a, a letdown. It was the worst Christmas ever. I was alone with Robbie under a Christmas tree thinking this is the worst Christmas ever in my, sorry, entire life. And not even bloody, what's his name? George Michael and his last Christmas helped me out because anyway, he died on the 25th, which is another tragedy. I mean, my favorite Christmas song is Last Christmas. I think it is the number one Christmas song for me, again, because it was my time in the 80s. A lot of a yeah. lot of Brit, Brits would agree with you, but it's also a very sad song, too. It's a very emotional song. It's a very, it's a very melancholy song, for sure. Um, you know, people gravitate toward Christmas music every year because it makes them feel better. In some cases, they are tapping into the nostalgia of better Christmases in their past. 
it is good memories associated with some of that music, which is why so many people go back to the classics every year, which is why we'll never stop hearing White Christmas, because we all grew up with it, no matter how old we are. We all grew up with being Crosby's White Christmas. But I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a Christmas music year-round guy. I don't just listen to it from the end of November to the end of December. I'll put on a Christmas record today. I'll put on a Christmas record in July. To me, it's still great music. It makes me feel good. No way. I've never heard of that. Uh, for me, it always finishes after Christmas. It's like a Christmas tree that you keep for too long. It gets depressing. But for you, it just really, it releases serotonin maybe. Yeah, it or might. Dopamine, but I, but I, also, I also think those songs are so good. The same reason you won't only listen to Pearl Jam for a month a year because you still enjoy Pearl Jam six months later. It's the same thing for me. These are songs and artists that I love. So why would I ghettoize them by just playing them for a few weeks? That's just phenomenal. All these years with music, my goodness. And what, I can say something very quickly. Um, you're you are related to Petula Clark. Is that kind of correct? That is Petula my Clark? understanding. I, Petula I, I Clark. Is that on my Wikipedia? Is that where you got that? I, I don't. Yes. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how that ended up there. I think it is true. I can't swear to you what the connection is. It is, it's a, it's a, a couple removed by cousins, but I'm a fan of hers also as well. I've never met her. I don't know her, but I certainly respect her as an artist. Oh my goodness. But there's some kind of uh, familiarity when I look at your face that you have something, you look quite, I mean, you look similar. If that be a little tiny bit, a tiny bit. Yes, absolutely. I was going to ask about your podcast as well. What, what is this? Uh, a, a cup of tea and a, and a, a cup of tea and a chat. Um, what's it entail? What's, what do you look for? What, what can we look out for on, on this show, on well, your podcast? Thank you for asking. I was lucky enough to do that radio show that you mentioned for 30 years in Los Angeles as a breakfast presenter and fortunate enough that I had a lot of fans afterwards who came to me after I retired and they said, we still miss you on the radio. Please, please, please. Can you do something? Let us know if you do a podcast. And I kind of resisted doing it for a while because I thought I might be able to get a job in British radio. That was my goal. Part of moving back to the UK was, all right, I've done it in America. Now I'd like to do it in Britain. But for a number of reasons, pandemic being one of them, which restricted a lot of opportunities to be able to meet people, shake hands, get to know people, networking, that sort of thing. That didn't happen. And also, you know, you work in the media industry. There aren't a lot of people who are interested in somebody my age. And my accent doesn't help either. There's nobody out there who goes, ooh, American accents are so cute. So I think I had a lot of things stacked against me, which I understand. I'm not complaining. It's a fair comment. But at some point, I thought, you know, I really miss the opportunity to speak with an audience and to and to have my comments on the things that are going on in the news and things that I want to talk about. So I reached out to a, a, an ex-colleague of mine and said, let's do a show. And we started doing a show and the response has just been tremendous. And it's a pop culture show. We'll talk about everything that's going on in the news and everything that's going on in the world that's interesting to us. And we have a lot of great listener interaction. And it's really, it's a beautiful community. I'm sure you've seen the same thing, Monty, with your podcast. I mean, they give back so much. They they feel like they're invested in you and your welfare and they make contributions and they make recommendations, they make suggestions. And you really do feel like you're part of something. And that's, I think that's what I miss is the, is the feeling of community from being on the radio. It's great to have that back again. I noticed with the radio, when I would go on the BBC Radio London show, often as a doga expert or yoga expert, uh, what I noticed is, first of all, you can't swear. 
please do not swear. This is the BBC and I have a terrible mouth. I'm, I'm really, I should wash my mouth all the time with soap. But sometimes something came out and it just came out impulsively. And it was actually quite funny in that moment. But there's a lot of censorship there, you know. And, and also you can't really talk about everything, can you? Like if I want to talk about the Chinese dog meat trade, no way. No way. And, and I know that, that so much restriction. It made me feel, because I'm all about animal welfare, and I, I do like to talk about important things. And I felt it was always being, you always scratch on the surface with these radio sh shows. You always, you, you can't dig a little tiny bit deeper, you know? You're right. And, and by the way, having the opportunity to be my own boss, along with my colleague, Ali, one of the segments that we did on a recent episode was he had, we had a woman on who works out of Los Angeles, who's a listener of ours. That's her whole passion is rescuing dogs from the China meat trade. And we helped her raise a bunch of money to, because you know what's involved in going over there and gathering up all those animals, caring for all those animals and bringing them back to places where they can be adopted. It's, I mean, I, I can't get too deep into it because it makes me too sad. Does that make sense? I like to help where I can, but I do have a limit at which I it's too much for me mentally and emotionally. And I feel terrible about that. But you realize that you can't save them all. You just have to do each person, I think, needs to do what what they that person can to help make animals' lives better. If it's if it's adopting a dog, that's great. If it's making a contribution toward an animal rescue, that's fantastic. If it's even going further than that, like my wife has traveled around the United States to pick up dogs that have needed to be moved to other places. You know, she's done that. That's her thing. So just everybody do what they can for that's animals. Amazing. Will you be collecting another 30 animals in Hampstead? I mean, will you start your farm again or do you? Well, there is, there is a woman that we follow on Instagram named Becca who does pug rescue and she has somewhere between 30 and 40 pugs. And although it looks like a lot of fun, I think that may be more work than I'm willing to take on. I can't, I just can't imagine how much poop there is if you have 30 to 40 pugs. Um, we don't have the land, of course, like everyone in London, we don't have the land for animals anymore. But I count the years that I had that rescue farm as some of the happiest in my life. To get the opportunity to know cows, to know pigs, to know sheep, we don't need any of them, by the way, because once you've owned them, once you've given them names and you've you, you spent all that time with them, they're no longer food, they're pets. So that I'm grateful for that. I'm great. I mean, people don't realize how sweet and affectionate and wonderful those animals are. They just put them in arbitrary boxes. They say, oh, no, dogs are pets, yet they're outraged that anyone would eat a dog yet they don't see a cow the same way and to me they're the same dogs and cows are the same they're both pets and they're both sweet and they're both smart and they're both lovely and neither should be eaten yeah and, and so i assume you're vegetarian vegan is that That's right, right. Well, no not vegan we, we pescatarian fish is all pescatarian yeah it's funny huh with fish because do they really it's just because um I feel like with, <laughs> that the fish might just not be so good looking. So it might not have a soul. It's kind of you, poor fish, you know, poor fish. Where does he, you know, fit in all that? He's like, excuse me, mate, I've got a soul. I've got a face. But it's kind of like people move to pescatarians slowly and then eventually they drop the fish as well. No, but, I know. Um, You're right, because we all draw a line somewhere. 
many people have something they won't eat and where do you draw the line? And for right now, for me, it's fish, but somebody could come along and make the argument that that fish feels pain and that fish has a family and that fish deserves a life. And I'm, and I might well be convinced to not eat fish anymore either, but I, I just, we certainly don't need to eat the animals that we're eating. And I'm, I'm always happy when someone gives it up. Absolutely. And I think you should interview uh, Mark Beckoff on your show at some point. This well, you haven't been able to get him and you're way more famous uh, than I am. Oh, no, I, don't, no. I don't know what makes you think I'll get him. No, I, I just think you would absolutely love speaking to him. I mean, it's just the book is please read the book Emotional Lives of Animals. And uh, it opens your the Dalai Lama endorsed it, you know, at the back and said this book is about compassion. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, it's Ben Bidwell here, otherwise known as The Naked Professor. I'm popping up to say the brand new series of The Naked Professor's podcast is now live. We're all about having deep and vulnerable discussions about what's really going on and how people are really feeling and dealing with the challenges in their lives. Each episode features a roundtable of incredible guests. You can expect to hear things like this. You know, the father I was a year ago is different to the father I am now. Past months have been more up and down than I've ever experienced. My stress levels have been elevated since the show came out. I've been working really hard to try and hold the good and the bad in my life at the moment. These conversations are more important now than ever before. So if you want to tune in, and subscribe to the Naked Professors podcast wherever you found this one. So we're going to do a compassion meditation today, a Dalai Lama compassion meditation. So, how wonderful. So everybody, are we ready to sit back today? I'm just looking at a clear blue sky outside my window with a couple of clouds. Actually, it's not so clear, but almost clear. And uh, we're going to sit down with our dogs, wherever they are. If they're on a sofa, sitting there looking at you or looking away, it's fine. If they're lying next to you or under your feet, then just let it happen. 
And you can sit back and relax in a chair, or you can sit on the ground, cross-legged, with your spine straight. So if you are sitting in a chair, try and sit upright as much as you can. I'm back, Manny. Good, good. I have squeeze on my lap. Oh, fantastic. So I was just saying, if we can somehow settle where your spine is upright. So it can be in a chair, it can be on the floor, just upright position. And if your dog is on the lap, you can already place both hands on your dog. So both palms flat on your dog. And so in yoga, we take the breath through the nostrils. We draw the breath in through the nose. Deep Darth Vader sound breathing, drawing the breath in. That's it. And out. So the lips stay closed. Ideally, the lips stay closed and you're just breathing through the nostrils. Inhale, deep breathing. Keep the palms on your dog and just breathe into your body. And exhale through the nose all the way out. And maybe your dog will respond to your breathing, the sound of the breath. They might look at you and lick your face and be curious. Beautiful. Just keep going with that breath, allowing the palms to rest on your dogi, on your dogi, because you're the yogi, the dog is the dogi. And then we're just connecting to our heart center, just between the breast, the sternum, around the sternum, just focusing on the heart center, the heart chakra. It's an energy center. And I want you to imagine the color green. Funnily enough, in the traditional yoga tradition, the chakra of the heart, the Anahata chakra, is green. So it's not to do with envy. Green is the color of compassion. So just breathe in the color green into your heart center. And then breathe out. And just don't worry about your dog. Just focus on yourself, drawing the breath in. And out. And maybe we can just imagine a lotus flower in our heart center, expanding on the inhale and radiating on the exhale. Soft breathing, keep going, inhale and exhale. And as you focus on your heart, you should start feeling 
a gentle vibration in the palms of your hands, especially in the center of the palms of your hands. So you can even spread your palms a little wider and just expand the space in the palms of your hands and imagine those tiny little lotus flowers sitting in the middle of the palms of your hands and just place those lotus hands on your dog now and really breathe into the palms of your hands into yourself and the palms of your hands at the same time so it's a lot of visualization here slowly inhale and slowly exhale Slowly inhale and slowly exhale. Try and draw the inhalation from your tailbone into the crown of your head. Lengthen the inhale. Take more breath into your body. Right to the top of your lungs and then exhale. Good. You've got a long exhalation here. That's really nice. Try and lengthen your inhale. And exhale. Now really spread the palms apart and just hover the palms of your hands two inches above your dog. So you're not touching your dog. It's actually slightly sort of a Reiki thing. Just two inches away and really spread your fingers and now really breathe into the palms of your hands. Feel that energy. Really energize the center of the palm of your hands. Inhale. And exhale. You should feel heat in the palms of your hands. Inhale. And exhale. And you may start feeling a tingling sensation on the tips of your fingers as well. Each tips of your fingers as you spread your fingers wider. Maybe some parts of your hands are warmer or cooler. It doesn't matter. It really, as long as there's a, a change in temperature, just feel it. Settle into your body, settle into your body, ground yourself through the sitting bones. So you're really rooting yourself through the feet. So you're really in the present moment, like our dogs coming into the present moment, just like them. And that's when the work starts. So once you become present in the moment, that's when you can start feeling into your dog. And I want you now to use your intuition, Jean, and see where your dog would like to be touched. So with the palms of your hands, just hover around him and just settle the palms where they need to go, where you think your dog will connect and correspond with your energy. And then just see what comes. You may want to massage 
You may just want to sit there with the palms, but keep breathing. You can, a trick is to just brush over the surface of your dog and you may feel where there's more heat is where you want to place the palms. So there may be an area where they have a little bit more, um, you know, discomfort, if I may say, or blockages in energy. Your dog has a central nervous system. They have a spine, so they feel things exactly as we do. Tension, maybe looking for tension. So where are you now with your hands, Jean? Well, my dog feels pretty loose. The warmest spot on his body is his ears. Good. So now just start placing your thumb and index finger behind the back of the ears and massage their ears, the back of the ears, and really go in there and breathe into it. Inhale. Exhale. And just go gentle with your thumb and index finger. You can go a little more into the backs of the ears than you think because this is where your dog holds most of the tension. It comes from the jaw and from their lower back and their legs. So the ears are connected to the whole lumbar spine. And so it's all interconnected, exactly the same as us. So just massaging deeply, go into the back of the ears, into the atlas, if that makes sense, the last part. Also, because he's a pug, it would be nice to go under his head and go around the muscles, just under the atlas. Does that make sense? The last, the, uh, the cervical spine, the last part of the cervix just around there as well. So you can do ears and cervix and just go around. How's, how's the response? He is, uh, seems to be very much enjoying it. He's just mm, nice. beautiful. It is so great to do it with two dogs as well. It's really nice to synchronize the breath. And do like a, yeah, it's something amazing when you have two dogs to do it all in synchronicity. It's beautiful. Still using the breath. So I just wanted to ask you one more thing. As you're doing this, where do you feel the tension in your body? What's releasing in your body as you're doing this? Is there any change? I don't, I don't know. I think I'm so aware of following instructions and paying attention to him that I'm kind of not concentrating on what's going on in my body right now. Oh, interesting. Just to follow, follow your instructions properly and make sure I have my hands where they're supposed to be. So yeah. just give yourself a lot of time. It's beautiful. You're doing great. It's fantastic. <laughs> I can really feel it. Now. I just want to go, ah, shall we do a sigh together? I feel like a sigh feels good. An inhale, it's a big sigh. And just let it out. <sighs> Is it true that you remember everything? You can like read a whole page and just remember everything. Is that is that correct? I have better recall than some, but not as much as others. Wow. Fantastic. That's amazing. 
So one more sigh, a deep breath, inhale. <sighs> well, Squeak has really enjoyed this rubdown today. Thank you, Manny. It's fantastic. And then we're just going to bring the palms of our hands into our heart center. And we bow our heads to our dogs and really bow and give thanks of gratitude for their presence, for their loyalty, for their stability. And really, really thank them. Thank them for their presence because they're always there, aren't they? And I bow deeply to you, Jean, with uh, my final mantra. It's called Na-ma-pa. Instead of Namaste, we say Na-ma-pa, bringing the palms together, bowing our heads. Na-ma-pa. And I wish you so much um, compassion. And I really hope that you find your way in London, in the UK, with your animal mission, all that work that you want to do. I still feel there's a lot more for you to come ahead with, with, with rescue, uh, rescue work. I have a very strong feeling about this. And I think you will interact with a lot more charities. Yeah. I hope so, because there's nothing more satisfying. There's nothing that feels better than being able I to know. help little faces. I really, and uh, yeah, I want to be, you know, if we can connect, we're doing International Doga Day on June 21st in London. And this is the day of, uh, unfortunately, the Yulin Dog Meat uh, show in, in China. They slaughter dogs in uh, on that day. It's on summer solstice. And each each year I celebrate love. And it's a big mass doga class, global mass dog yoga class. Also in LA, everybody can join in. Uh, where we doga for love to raise awareness of animal cruelty. So you think it'll be in person this year or inch? I hope, you know what my mission, my vision is Hampstead Heath, a big gathering on Hampstead Heath, June 21st. What do you think? Got plenty of room. Shall we go? For I, I want to see you there. I want to see you there. And I hope uh, you can spread the word as well. And we can Absolutely. just keep, yeah, keep moving forward. Yeah. Thank you for the invitation. I really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit. And I, yes. and I appreciate any time I can meet a fellow, a fellow animal lover. So this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Gene. I I'm, feel so much mellower now than I was at the beginning. I, <laughs> I was all hyped up when I came on. And now listen to me. I'm like, hey, Monty, thanks a lot for having me on. It was really fun. I, I think you relaxed me. Absolutely. I know you will love Doga. I know everybody who comes out of Doga, it feels like they've, it, it changes their world because you have the animal and the yoga as a combination. And for people who are maybe a little bit self-conscious about yoga, they, they have the animal to focus on. Do you see what I mean? So they don't have to focus on themselves so much. And yeah, it, you're right. It, yeah, it releases oxytocin and cortisol and serotonin. So there's a lot of research behind it. Thank you so much, Bubble and Squeak. Namapa. See you at Doga. <laughs> Namapa to you as well. Thanks for listening to Conversations with My Dog. Make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, then please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It helps others to find us. And talking of spreading the news, please tell another person about the podcast and help us reach more people and dogs. 
We'll be back with another episode, same time, same place, next week. Namapa. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.